I'm Josh Block, sitting in this week for Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Last Night at School Committee. Ross Wilson and I are here to summarize for you what happened last night during the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. What happens at each school committee meeting has big implications for our students and our city, and this podcast shines a light on the decisions our leaders are making. Ross, good morning. Good morning, Josh. Josh, I want to begin today by taking a step back for a moment and talking about where we are as a school district. We're two years to the day from when schools first closed due to the pandemic, and we're facing an entirely different world and paradigm than the one that we once knew. And we're sitting today in really in a state of absolute uncertainty. We're uncertain about who the new superintendent will be. We're uncertain about how our school system will be governed. Will we have an elected school committee, an appointed school committee? Will the state somehow intervene in our school system? We're uncertain, Josh, because a dozen school leaders have already resigned in the Boston Public Schools in March. That's very early for school leaders to be resigning for the next school year. And we've already had a dozen resign, including the head of school for the Boston Latin School resigned last week. And there's more likely to come. We're also uncertain because enrollment continues to decline. We're uncertain about the state of our buildings and the future of our school buildings and BPS. And frankly, we're really uncertain about the school committee's goals and vision for the future of the school district. All of that uncertainty leads to absolute confusion and it hurts our district's ability to attract and keep families in this school system. And Ross, we saw that uncertainty on display throughout the night last night, and actually, in fact, even before last night's meeting began. Earlier in the day yesterday, there was an announcement from BPS leaders that the district is changing course for one year on its plans for the P.A. Shaw Elementary School and for the Boston Day and Evening Academy's BDEA 2.0 program. That's right. Every school committee meeting for the past few months, we've heard from students, parents, and teachers at the Shaw School. Man, these students are absolutely amazing. This school currently goes through grade three, and they've been pleading with the school committee to follow through with their proposed expansion to grades four and five as they were promised when they reopened a number of years ago. And yesterday, there was a big rally at the school to draw attention to this issue, and it worked. BPS announced yesterday they'll be adding a fourth grade to the Shaw and continuing to look at options for future expansion. I gotta say, Josh, I'm really proud of those students. They showed a tremendous leadership in advocating for change. Ross, we've seen week after week how incredible these students are. They come to the school committee meetings, they testify. Last night, they put out a video at the school committee meeting about how much they love their school. And it's great that the district is now paying attention. Of course, when you have a school that's this successful, the district should be bending over backwards to support it and to ensure that the school community and the students can learn and grow and continue to learn and grow in that atmosphere. And so it's disappointing that it took this much advocacy to get the district to deliver on something that was promised eight years ago when the school reopened, but it's, it's a good outcome. It's a good temporary outcome. We'll get to this. The other change, Josh, we heard about before yesterday's meeting is that BDA2 program. This program has been using space at the Timulty, which has closed, and this is sort of going to be used as swing space and be renovated in the coming years. And the school committee was pleading over the last few months to say, hey, can you just tell us, will we have the ability to use the Timulty building next year and future years? And yesterday, the district announced that BDEA will be able to stay at the Timulty for one more year while a long-term plan is developed. Right. So, Russ, again, it's a good outcome for both of these school communities for the next year. These school communities got what they wanted for one year. It's a one-year fix. But if you're a parent right now thinking about sending your kids to these schools, it can't be very reassuring to know that next year this is all going to come up again and things can keep changing on a year-to-year basis. 
That's right. This has happened over and over again. It comes on the heels of similar issues at the Edward M. Kennedy School, the Jackson Mann School, the Horace Mann School for the Deaf, the Sumner School, and other school communities over the past year who've come to the school committee and pleaded and asked for more certainty around their future. The district can't keep putting out Band-Aids one by one. And if they do, they're going to continue to have uncertainty and instability, and it's going to be impossible to prevent further declines in enrollment. And that's a perfect segue into last night's meeting, because enrollment was a key topic of discussion last night. The meeting began with the presentation of the superintendent's final budget recommendations. Now, you'll recall that she first presented her proposed $1.3 billion budget on February 2nd, which was followed by about six weeks of hearings and listening sessions. And based on that feedback, she made a series of changes to her initial proposal, and we heard about those changes last night. Ross, what did we hear last night? So, Josh, we heard last night that we have an additional like $2.3 million increase in central budget, $1 million in additional funding for the Division of Equity, $800,000 in additional funding for the Office of Recruitment, and another $500,000 for our athletic department to fund more positions. A few things that are interesting in these numbers, Josh. At the same time that the district is talking about the difficulty in filling vacancies, and they're actually allocating almost a million dollars to help fill those vacancies through recruitment, they're also spending millions and millions of dollars on creating new positions. Now, Josh, this is just in our general operating budget. It's not even including the ESSER dollars that are going to more and more positions. And meanwhile, we have a dozen schools currently, and probably a number of more, without school leaders. We have significant vacancies amongst teachers, bus drivers, nurses, and other staff critical to the operations of our schools. Why not spend every extra dollar there in our schools, ensuring that we have the appropriate staff in our schools in place, rather than putting more money and more positions and funding more positions in central office? It just doesn't make sense to me, Josh. We should be doubling down and ensuring our schools are stable and then worry about adding positions to our central office. And Ross, the budget presentation for last night did also include some changes to the budgets for 98 schools. Uh, that included $3.6 million for library expansions, $2.6 million for soft landings, that's money to support schools that are seeing declining enrollment, and $2.3 million to hire more school psychologists to get on par with the national best practice ratio of school psychologists to students. That's right. We also saw changes to the budgets of schools impacted by recent central office decisions like the P.A. Shaw and the King and the Trotter, which the King and the Trotter will now be moving to K-6, and essentially the students will be going to the Burke for 7-12. We also saw changes to Madison Park, where they noted last night that they're capping enrollment at Madison Park. Before this, they thought they were going to have at least a 10% increase in enrollment at Madison Park. This, again, highlights the issues of one-off, you know, one-year Band-Aid fixes and the ripple effects they have on system-wide budget allocations and staffing. This will come up again next year, Josh, and year after year until a long-term solution and a plan is put forward. And Ross, that gets us to the topic of enrollment, which was a big sticking point last night between members of the school committee and Boston Public Schools CFO Nate Cooter. School committee member Brandon Cardet-Hernandez began by asking what data the district is using to arrive at its enrollment projections for next year and whether it's taking into account current registration and assignment numbers. Here's how Nate Cooter responded. The registration and assignment numbers are not as predictive or informative as people would have guessed. And so they don't often shape our enrollment projections. We don't often do revisions at this point in the year based on registration and assignment unless there are 
large swings from what we anticipated. Ross, this seems surprising. If we have hard numbers of actual students already registered for next year, wouldn't it be relevant to look at whether that number is substantially higher or substantially lower than it usually is at this point in the year? And wouldn't that give us some information about what type of enrollment projections we might see? It does seem like it would be interesting to look at the historical trends here, to look at the accuracy of the predictions over the past 10 years using this methodology, but also to go back and look at the application data for the past 10 years and look at the first couple of rounds and see if it's predictive of future enrollment for the next year ahead. I believe our projections have been over for the last few years by a few thousand students. And we really should be thinking differently and maybe using more data to help us inform our enrollment projections. It does seem counterintuitive to not use the data. And even if Mr. Cooter is right, that it is not predictive, if enrollment data is not predictive, it would still be important to see that data. And it is clear that Mr. Cardet Hernandez was unsatisfied with this answer. Sorry, not to belabor the point, I, I'm just now more confused. And here's his follow-up question and the response from Mr. Cooter. So to clarify, the current budget projection data around enrollment is based on what? It's based on current enrollment as of October 1. And then our historical information around cohort change rates, and then conversations with school leaders about other factors about growth or capping. There's a whole host of conversations that we have about individual school projections to make sure they're accurate. Enrollment has dropped by about 13% in the Boston Public Schools over the past five years. And last year, we saw significant drops despite projection increases for an organization that is managing well over a billion dollar budget and overseeing tens of thousands of students, you would expect to factor in every possible data source that we have in order to get as close of an accurate projection as possible. And Mr. Credit Hernandez continued to seek clarification from Mr. Cooter on this point. Here's his next question and Mr. Cooter's response. Do you have another question? Do I'm because I think I'm going crazy over here. So help me understand this, Mr. Cooter. The current enrollment, as I understand it, at BPS is around forty-eight thousand, but the projected number for the fiscal year twenty-three budget is forty-nine thousand. So I think maybe we're just talking past each other, or I'm missing something, and that would be helpful because I think it would help everyone else who's listening. We are. You said we're we are projecting enrollment decline, but it looks like we're actually projecting a number of students that is higher than the number of students we currently have in BPS now. Thank you for that question. Understand fully where we are not, we're not talking apples to apples. Um, the October one enrollment was 49,200 in the district. We don't project to that specific number of total enrollment because we need to project to enough, have enough capacity in every grade program and school across the district, which means that what we do is project to what we call the high watermark. So Mr. Kuda here is saying that the goal of this exercise is to arrive at an aspirational projection based on the highest possible enrollment in every class, in every program, in every school. He's, essentially, he's preparing for the best case scenario. Russ, is that a problem? Josh, the more accurate our projections, the more we can focus our resources, funding towards every student who is in our school district. If we are not accurate, we may be spending money on students who are not actually there. 
And by having the right number, we'll have a more sustainable school system in the future. You focus your resources and you're able to invest in the appropriate buildings and the learning spaces and the personnel for the students who are in our schools. By over-projecting, we are creating instability and uncertainty. I think there's a really interesting comparison here to what's happening right now in Newton. And this was highlighted last week in a report by the Boston Globe. And over the last five years, the city of Newton has had a 7.3% decrease in students and an accompanying 5.4% decrease in staff. But during that same period of time, the city of Boston has had a 12.2% decrease in students and a 23% increase in staff. Now, that's a pretty jarring mismatch. Absolutely, Josh. While seeing almost a 13% decrease in students over the past five years, Boston has a 23% increase in staffing, especially during a time when we don't have enough applicants to fill the positions. Here's what I was thinking about when, when I was listening to this last night. You know, when my parents, I, I have two sisters, and all of us went off to college. They kind of kicked us out of our house and said, get out of here. When we were out of the house, my parents downsized to a smaller house. They didn't just pretend that my sisters and I still lived with them. If they did, they'd be paying way too much for utilities. They'd be paying too much in property taxes. They may even be buying food every day for five people instead of two. They'd still be driving around in our old minivan with five empty seats pretending we were there. That's what's happening in our schools when we overproject our numbers year after year. So that was the budget presentation last night, and the final vote on the budget will be at next Wednesday's school committee meeting. The meeting then moved on to public comment, where we heard more about the uncertainty facing Boston families. Here's City Councilor Ricardo Arroyo speaking about the changes at the Shaw School. I hear you speaking about pro-enrollment policies, and I will say that one of the things that got flagged often in this conversation was that the lack of clarity as to the future of this school and whether or not it will get its fifth and sixth grade class actually was leading parents away from BPS and that the more we actually create clarity that children will be able to live or work more so within the school communities that they are learning in and that they are thriving in and that they want to be in, the more likely we are to retain those students and also to bring new ones into the fold. Ross, he's absolutely right. The best thing the district can do for enrollment is to give current families and prospective families certainty, stability, and assurance that they won't be forced to suddenly change schools and change pathways midway through their education. And we heard a comment on this same theme last night from Sharon Hinton. Here's what she said. I, too, was at the PA Shaw this morning, so I congratulate those parents, teachers, community members that showed up. But frankly, I am tired of going to these kinds of rallies. I remember this at the Timothy, this at the Trotter, this at the Jackson Man. There are so many different schools that have gone through this, and it's heartening to see what happens. So thank you, Boston School Committee, for approving this and the superintendent. But why are black and brown teachers, parents, and schools, and students forced to do this kind of stuff when we're fighting for our schools? This all comes back to uncertainty. We got temporary certainty for one year yesterday for the PA Shaw and the BDEA too but we still don't have long-term certainty. That's right. The meeting then moved on to the superintendent's report, where she began by acknowledging the tragic shooting earlier this week at the Tech Boston Academy. After school hours in the parking lot at Tech Boston on Tuesday evening, a student and a teacher were shot. Both are thankfully in stable condition and recovering. Whenever an incident like this happens, it shakes the entire school community and the city. 
it is essential that our students, families, and staff members feel safe and supported in and around schools every day. And we need to do everything in our power to ensure that. Absolutely. And our thoughts are with the Tech Boston community and hoping for a continued recovery. The superintendent continued her report by talking about the acceleration academies that took place over February break. The superintendent said the district had projected over 4,000 students to attend and fewer than 3,000 actually showed up. Their projection for enrollment at these acceleration academies was off by 25%. That's correct. Josh, the meeting then went on. The superintendent talked about masking and the district's threshold for its mask mandate and said in the coming weeks, there'll likely be changes to school masking policies related to that threshold. And finally, the superintendent then talked about the exam school timeline, which is delayed until late April, early May. It's important to note that admissions to private schools, parochial schools, charter schools, and MECO are all happening as we speak. The delay in exam school admissions will have a ripple effect on BPS families and will cause undue uncertainty. Ross, there were two reports last night. One was about the superintendent search. School committee member Lorena LaPera, who is also one of the chairs of the superintendent search committee, shared attendance figures from the two listening sessions that have been held thus far. She said there were 350 attendees at the first English session and 109 at the first Spanish session. Those are great numbers, Josh. And I got to join these sessions, and it was really great to see so many families out adding input about qualities of the next superintendent. They also, by the way, had a lot of families were advocating on different issues in the school system. So this is not only about the superintendent, but it's about the future of our school system. So great, great attendance at these forums. It will be interesting to see the report out on what they said and to see sort of the public rollout of this data um, and what they collected and how it will inform the decision for the next superintendent. All right. And as you just said, Ross, this is bigger than the superintendent. This is about setting goals and visions for the future of the school system. And school committee member Dr. Stephen Alkins raised this point last night. Here's what he said. I guess this is more of a, a comment. I can't help but think back to our last meeting, sort of like the, the, the retreat, and thinking about the conversation that we had around our goals as a school committee. And I'm wondering about the themes that are sort of surfacing in these discussions around superintendent qualifications more, not just for the purposes of finding our next superintendent, but how we're setting our own goals as a committee and making sure that what we're proposing as our goals is in alignment with what the community is looking for as well. As Dr. Alkins mentions, this was the main topic of the school committee retreat last week. So the school committee had a retreat last week and all the new members, the four new members of the committee, asked to revisit the committee goals with concerns that the goals may not have specific measures or you know, are the goals measurable, but they also felt like the goals may not be aligned to the work that has to be done, the core work of the district. Most importantly, the discussion at the retreat last week was, do we need goals around a master facilities plan for the district? And that brings us to the other report last night, which was on the list of school repair projects that the district will be bringing to the Massachusetts School Building Authority. Ross, what was this report about? Josh, this is typically like a, a perfunctory presentation of saying, hey, here are the projects we're going to submit to the Mass School Building Authority to fix some of our boilers, our roofs, and our windows. However, the issue that the school committee members were raising is that there's no master list of all the facility needs in BPS. 
And there's also no information about the city's capital budget. And this is the budget that funds improvement to our school buildings. So there was no master list of all the things that need to get done. There was no list of what the capital budget will cover and what the MSBA should cover. And quite frankly, there was no rationale for why these facilities got escalated for new boilers, windows, and roofs, and others did not. Without further information and a long-term facilities plan, it's really difficult for the committee members to vote on prioritizing these particular projects. I have to say this led to a pretty remarkable and powerful comment from the superintendent about the city of Boston's overall commitment to improving BPS facilities. Here's what she said. You know, we know that we have to eventually start closing schools or merging them or something to deal with our enrollment decline. And so we have to start really thinking about this comprehensive plan for the district. Obviously, we've been in a pandemic for two years. Kids are recovering. We don't want a lot of transition. We've done a lot of soft landings, but that's going to at some point have to end. And we're going to have to have a reality check. And we are going to have to have tough conversations with our community. This is like a chessboard. When you move one school or make a decision, it impacts all of the schools because of our assignment system and the school choice system within the district. And so we have to, and then it affects our transportation system. So there is so many complicated pieces and the city has to engage with us in that conversation because it is pointless to make this kind of angst in a district outside of a master facility plan where we know that we've done the community engagement that's gonna be needed, where we've been uh, made, make the tough decisions we have to make without having a serious commitment from the city with funding. If there's no funding that outwardly comes to the school committee saying, I'm gonna commit this amount of money to this project, it is literally pointless to do all of this work and cause all this angst with the community. Well, there it is. The superintendent is calling out the city of Boston to step up in no uncertain terms. And that's what happened last night at school committee. Here are some of the questions that we think are worth asking. How does next year's enrollment compare to previous years? How does the ripple effect of the delay in exam school decisions impact overall district enrollment? What are the school committee's goals and strategic vision guiding the superintendent search process? How will the city respond to the superintendent's call to action for a budget and a plan for a facilities overhaul? And of course, there are ways to engage and get involved. BPS is soliciting public feedback on what Bostonians are looking for in a new superintendent. The link is provided in our blog. Attend an upcoming superintendent search public listening session. Those dates are listed in our blog as well. And of course, sign up for our email list at shawfoundation.org to provide feedback on this podcast, receive updates on our work, and be notified when new podcast episodes are available. Thank you for listening to Last Night at School Committee. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast, and if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and residents of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston students. Have a great day.